Hello, and welcome to People of the Past. This episode, we'll be going over the last pharaoh of the second-to-last Hellenistic dynasty, Cleopatra, who gets an extremely bad reputation in the grand scheme of things because of her opposal and subsequent death to Augustus. So, to tell you about the life and how Cleopatra was more than just a vile seductress like history would make you believe, let's take a look at Cleopatra's life. So, let's first take a look at the state of Egypt after Alexander's death in 323 BC. His empire was split apart. Egypt was taken by a dynasty known as the Ptolemaic dynasty. That meant that whilst the story of Cleopatra takes place in Egypt, she herself was Greek and was raised with a Greek culture. Cleopatra was born sometime in January of 69 BC, over 200 years after the dynasty first began, and was raised alongside her brother, Ptolemy XIII. By the way, Cleopatra is actually Cleopatra VII in Alexandria, the Mediterranean's capital of knowledge. Cleopatra herself absolutely thrived in this environment, having access to the Library of Alexandria alongside all the perks towards education you get from being a princess meant that Cleopatra was extremely well-read and knowledgeable on just about every subject that was of any importance. And unlike a lot of ruling kings, both in the Ptolemy Ptolemaic dynasty and history proper, she put in the work to learn and study from all of the resources that she had. This shows in the fact that not only was she the only Ptolemaic king or queen to ever speak both Greek and Egyptian, but she spoke a grand total of 10 languages. Anyhow, after Cleopatra's father, Ptolemy XII died, power fell to her younger brother, with her simply serving as an advisor. Once Ptolemy XIII got the required support, however, he exiled Cleopatra from Egypt. Fortunately for her, at that same time, the Romans arrived. The plan was to promise the armies of Egypt to help Pompey fight the coup against Caesar. Unfortunately, her brother decided to ally with Caesar and beheaded Pompey when he sought refuge with him. The killing of Pompey greatly angered Caesar, who had always attempted to show his foe clemency. Cleopatra saw this anger as an opportunity and snuck back into Alexandria so that she could speak with him. Cleopatra quickly run, won him over through a mix of seduction and just being a generally intelligent and fun person to speak with. Ptolemy opposed this and blockaded Alexandria with his navy, giving the two of them nothing else to do but to spend time together and deepen their feelings. By the time reinforcements came from Rome, Cleopatra had become pregnant. After spending the next decade on tour through Egypt with Caesar, he returned home to Rome where he publicly legitimized Cleopatra's child as his own. Cleopatra, however, had a lot of work to do in Egypt, and many of the past Ptolemaic rulers didn't do a great job, and spent most of the time partying. Using the iconography of Isis, the goddess of life, and portraying her son as Horus, Isis's son and the king god, Cleopatra used those parties to her advantage and had large celebrations like all the Ptolemies before her. However, she would use these parties to make religious statements that would help her politically, speaking as both an Egyptian and a Greek, which no other Ptolemaic ruler had done. Cleopatra did her best to truly live up to the iconography of Isis and cared for, Greek, for Egypt like a mother would a child. But while things were going great in Egypt itself, Rome and the entire Mediterranean fractured after Caesar's assassination with Antonius taking the eastern lands near Egypt and Lepidus and Octavian taking the west. This is when Cleopatra met up with Antonius. 
Cleopatra would marry him, not only because he owned all of the surrounding lands to Egypt, but because the marriage was a mutually beneficial one. Cleopatra got a guaranteed safety net and heirs, while Antonius got supplies, a navy, and soldiers for a campaign in Parthia. Now, most of history paints this moment as when Cleopatra came in like a witch and seduced Antonius to turn against Rome. However, it's important to look at the resources that we have. All of the sources from this time come from Antonius's rival, Octavian, who, among many things, was great with PR. He was very quickly able to shift public opinion in Rome against Cleopatra because it would serve to make him more politically powerful. If Romans thought that this wasn't a civil war, and instead Octavian fighting against the evil Egyptian queen who seduced and misled a once great Roman, much more people would be willing to support him. This would only increase as Antonius would return Cilicia, Cyrene, Cyprus, Syria, and the Levant, and when Antonius would actually launch the Parthian campaign, he would leave Cleopatra as the ruler of the entire east of Rome. After this, however, things would begin to fall apart. After the campaigns in Parthia met with a disastrous end with over 32,000 casualties, 24,000 of which were in the retreat, and Octavian was quick to jump in on this weakness. He sent Antonius's actual Roman wife, along with 2,000 Roman soldiers, to him with a clear message. Accept Roman help and return to your wife, or completely disengage with Rome and be with Egypt. Cleopatra knew that she couldn't lose such a large ally and was able to convince him to side with her, firmly cementing their dependency on one another. This was a massive slap in the face to the Roman pride, and as I mentioned before, Octavian had an extremely easy time rallying Romans to join the fight against Egypt and their evil queen who stole away a general. This would culminate in the Battle of Actium, in which Octavian and his general Agrippa blockaded Antonius and Cleopatra. They were able to retreat but lost most of their ships and men in the process. Neither side was really in a state to do anything after the battle, however, and Octavian returned to Rome while Cleopatra and Antonius retreated to Alexandria. The next year, Octavian traveled with his men to a defenseless Alexandria, and Antonius would commit suicide, with Cleopatra not far behind. After it was made clear that Octavian wanted to use her as a propaganda piece to parade for their victory against Egypt, Cleopatra would also commit suicide, most likely using an injected poison, not through a snake, like most paintings would have you believe. With Cleopatra's death, so too draws the end of our podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to the stories of Greek men and one Greek woman who changed history, and I want to thank you for listening.